We did something special on Mother's Day when we began the message, so I thought lest we show any favoritism, uh, it's probably worth it to do the same thing on Father's Day. So again, I went to a local store and went to the card section and took pictures of some of my favorite Father's Day cards, maybe. You caught your eye, caught the same card, and this is what you got, or maybe you need to go get one after the service, and maybe this will help guide you in that search. But here we go. This is one that caught my attention. It said, got chair, got snacks. That's it. Have a great, awesome Father's Day. So simple, huh? Just relax. Well, here's another one that caught my eye. It says, first comes love, then came marriage. Then I had to censor. <laughs> After that, all hockey broke loose. <laughs> right? <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Uh, here's another card that I had never seen, one like this before. Looked kind of ugly on the outside, and then it just said, pull. You know, you never know if I should duck when you do that or, or what's going to happen when you pull it. Uh, but I took that step of courage, and when I pulled it, lo and behold, the card turned into an entire beer mug. And it said, didn't want to wish you a happy Father's Day until you had a beer in your hand. Um, so a great way to mug dad for Father's Day. A very low, low calorie mug, right? All right, here's another one that caught my eye as I was looking at the plethora of cards. This one said, did it or happy Father's Day to the guy who taught me everything I need to know about hand tools. Which is, hand the tools to dad and step back. <laughs> or this one. So many of my good qualities come from you, dad. And open the card up and it says, same for the bad qualities, but that's not really the vibe of this holiday. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> There's some truth. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? But anyway, happy Father's Day to all the dads, granddads, great-granddads, godfathers, and father figures who God puts in our life and our walk here with him. As we continue into James chapter 2, there's one word in particular that James mentions twice today in our reading, and it's the word favoritism. And we are a people who have favorites, don't we? I have a little list here that you can see on your screen. We have favorite food, favorite restaurant, favorite colors, favorite teams, go Lions, favorite sport, Favorite movie, show, favorite car, truck, SUV, favorite game, maybe it's a board game, maybe it's an online game, maybe it's COD or Need for Speed Heat or, or uh, one of those, a favorite subject in school, favorite bands, favorite hymns, favorite songs. In the Midwest, you can have a favorite season, everywhere else just seems hot, 
Uh, favorite verse or favorite book of the Bible. We have favorites. Uh, and these are okay. In fact, take a second with someone who's next to you here at home and finish the sentence at the top of the screen. Pick any word from this list to put in the first blank. My favorite color is, and then just say it. So go ahead and share that with each other. Share your favorite of something. So good to hear all of the sharing lots of favorites did anybody this was I won't tell you the results until after did anybody say my favorite season is winter <laughs> there were a couple there were zero at the first service uh, so how about that there are a couple winter lovers here we have favorites but one of the dangers we'll talk about today is when we also do that with people. In fact, how many of you at some point in your life relate to this picture? Have any of you ever felt like that bird? Maybe you felt like that at home. Believe it or not, even adult siblings, 85% of adult siblings had at least the perception of favoritism at home. And I just read in psychology today, 65 to 70% of moms and dads admitted of showing preference towards one child. Usually, psychology today said not always. Usually, it can either be a older, right, the first, or sometimes it's the youngest, the boo. All right, any other poor middle child in here? Yeah, see? <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's at home that there is favoritism in our brokenness. Maybe someone received a little more time. Maybe someone received more privileges. Maybe someone received less discipline. Or maybe someone sure seemed like they received more affection than others. Could also have, maybe you felt like this at work. Someone else received the promotion that you wanted. Someone else received the bonus. Someone else received the raise or maybe someone else received the job that you wanted in general and you know even at work studies have shown favoritism based on looks 68% of hiring managers said once hired looks will affect the way that managers give job performance reviews they've even showed that looks can get you favored treatment on the streets what do I mean in one study they took a man 
and put him in a business district of New York City and had a need help sign. But one day they put him in a full beige suit because beige was the, the color that was in style. And on a consecutive day, same guy, same business district, they put him in a black suit with a need help sign. Would you believe just on the day that he had the beige suit, the color that was in style, he received twice as many donations as the same guy, same suit, but black. See, we can base favoritism on looks, on appearances, on apparel or clothing. In fact, here are some of the ways that we show favoritism. Maybe by ancestry, if, if you're a Kennedy or a Kardashian in this country, right? There could be some favor treatment. We give favoritism by appearance or acquaintances. You know so-and-so? By age, by achievement, by aptitude, by abilities, by affluence. And the hardest part is that we even show favoritism with these in the church. And that's what James is going to talk to us about in this first half of chapter 2. Look at this scenario. We don't know if this was made up or if this was in fact based on real events in a synagogue, a Christian synagogue in Jerusalem. But here's what James says. He says, My brothers, do not show favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you focus on the one wearing the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He takes a day much like we have now and, and pictures two different guests coming to worship. Where one is all decked out, has the bling going, has the shiny clothes, and, and he comes to the front door and, and the ushers give him the VIP treatment and walk him up to a seat of honor. While at the same time a poor man shows up in very shabby clothing and he is told to go stand or sit by one's feet which was a place of submission. And James is saying, wait a minute. That's not right. See, in our day, it could look something like this. Oh, uh, Mr. Senator, the sanctuary is right this way. Well, so the normal person, hello, anyone? <laughs> is this the church? Or imagine that St. Peter. If this morning while you were coming in here, say at 9.55, a big stretch limo pulled out into our circle drive here and outstepped a very nice, decked out 
family. While coming in from the west door here, there was someone with a shopping cart. And it looked like what they had of their belongings was all there and the clothes were shabby and the hair not done and might have even been an odor of, of alcohol or just body odor. Would we at St. Peter give equal, immediate, loving treatment, the same to both the person with the cart as with the family that just stepped out of the stretch limo? Or even if Justin Fields was the one who came out of the limo, would we make sure the person with the cart was just as welcomed as the new Bears quarterback? See, James is teaching us here very vividly in these words that faith and favoritism are incompatible. That preferential treatment has no place in the house of God. That we cannot in one hand hold to faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and still in the other hand hold partiality with how we treat various people. And James goes on to remind us why such faith and favoritism cannot go together. Look at how he continues in verse 5. He tells us that favoritism is ungodly. Right? He reminds us that God chooses the poor to be rich in faith and co-heirs of the kingdom of heaven which he promises to those who love him but you dishonor the poor man when you give the other preferential treatment so why would we ever show partiality here in this place based on appearance or apparel or anything even Paul says of God in, in Romans 2, God shows zero, nada, zilch favoritism. But we are all his children by grace alone. So not only does favoritism ungodly, but favoritism is also unloving. James goes on in, in verse Eight, to remind us about the royal law in Scripture from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law in God's kingdom. And Jesus showed us who our neighbor is. He added value. He elevated those who were marginalized in his day. He elevated the status of women and children and sick people and demon-possessed people and those who were poor, those who were begging, even those who were condemned. Jesus loved them all. Because in God's kingdom, by his royal law of love, love is blind. Our neighbor includes the least of these, even our enemies. Favoritism is ungodly, favoritism is unloving, and James tells us in verse 9 and 10 that favoritism is also unlawful, meaning it's sin. Look at, he says, if you show favoritism, you are committing sin 
and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps all of God's law and yet fails at just one point actually becomes guilty of breaking all of it. He's saying picture God's law as a giant pane of glass. And this pane of glass is seamless, perfect, not a scratch, mark, or ding. When we sin, whether it's murder or favoritism, it's taking a brick and chucking it through the perfect glass of God's law. And what happens? It shatters all of it. It breaks all of it. Even the sin of favoritism. It's not just ungodly, it's not just unloving, it's not just unlawful. But when we think about favoritism at its core, friends, it's also contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel, both testaments. Isaiah 49, God said, I am going to make the Messiah as a light to the nations. Jesus said in John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Paul writes of God in 1 Timothy 2, God wants all people to be saved. But when we show favoritism, we discriminate against the people whom God loves and wants to draw near to him. Look at those verses again. The nations, the world, all people. The gospel makes no distinctions or exclusions or partiality. But this world has one giant emoji around it. And it's a heart. And God says, everybody's in. Where do you think the most level place on earth is? I didn't know. I thought of the salt flats, maybe out west. It's one of them. Uh, but I guess one of the flattest places on earth is actually the salt flats in Bolivia. Very, very, very flat. And it runs for 62 miles. Wouldn't it be fun? to go there with a sports car. It's about the size of Jamaica. I was thinking, man, that'd be amazing. I can't imagine what it'd be like to just open it up and go. I was thinking, you know what? I think there's an even flatter place on the earth. And I think the flattest place is here. It's at the cross. The ground is perfectly level at the foot of the cross. Because it's at the cross that every single one of us is on equal ground. We are broken people. We are broken sinners who are dearly loved by God and given his only son. 
Not one of us has any kind of step up on anyone else. Nor does anyone else have any kind of step up on us. But we are all sinners brought into his perfect family by grace and loved dearly. And it's right there at the cross, on equal footing, grace alone, that we then go forth and we lay down our favoritism. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's at recess, whether the lunchroom or work break or, or online, we lay favoritism down and we replace it with mercy. Because as James says at the end of this section, it is mercy, not just day to day. It is mercy that on the last day triumphs over judgment. And so laying our favoritism down at the cross, we go and we give every neighbor mercy, the mercy that we received ourselves from God first. I want us to just think about that here for a couple minutes as we work through our here and practice questions. Remember last week, James told us, don't just be a hearer of the word and forget it, but be a hearer and doer of the word. So here are two questions to talk about with those you're with this morning here or with us online. The first one, being honest, where do you struggle with favoritism? Home, school, work, online, other? And then secondly, having received mercy yourself, the mercy of God, in what way can you replace favoritism with that mercy this week? Go ahead and share that with one another for a few seconds, and then the team white will lead us in song. <laughs> 